What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast on YouTube with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's episode 38, so let's start by shouting out one of the great number 38s in sports history. You cannot talk about the history of the game of baseball without mentioning the name Kurt Schilling. That's right, one of the best pitchers ever to pitch in the postseason. If you needed to win one single game in the month of October, Kurt Schilling's on the short list of guys you would want the ball in his hand. We all remember in 2004 the bloody sock incident, of course. Taking on the Yankees, coming back from behind 3-0. Kurt Schilling got the ball in that game six, gutted it out, and the Red Sox eventually went on to break an 86-year curse and win a World Series. And then in 2001, by all accounts, the greatest World Series ever played between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Yankees. And the Arizona Diamondbacks won that series because of two guys and two guys only. Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. The Yankees had no chance when those guys were on the mound. Randy Johnson coming out of the bullpen late in Game 7. I think they might have pitched every game of that series, it felt like. They were co-MVPs, and the Arizona Diamondbacks actually won a World Series. And it'll always be remembered because of those two players. So shout out to number 38, Kurt Schilling. He absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's a shame that he hasn't gotten in already because some voters are holding him out because of what he tweets and his political beliefs. That's bullshit. Kurt Schilling, the pitcher, belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame because you can't talk about the history of the game without mentioning his name. So here we go. This podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, you can clearly see my getup. I got a shirt on that says I want to party like it's 1988, and that's never been more true. Because in 1988, the Los Angeles Lakers were world champions and the Los Angeles Dodgers were World Series champions. And today, just like last week, they will be playing on the same day and they will be playing giant games. The Lakers will be playing the pivotal game four in the NBA Finals against the Miami Heat. And the Los Angeles Dodgers will kick off their five-game divisional round playoff series against the San Diego Padres. And let's talk about that. All season long, we knew this was going to happen. This was brewing. The San Diego Padres at the trade deadline made 15 different trades for one reason, and that was to compete for the Los Angeles to compete against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who had won eight consecutive National League West titles. They wanted everyone who can throw a baseball or hit a baseball to be on their team for this moment right now in a five-game playoff series against the Dodgers. And it happens tonight, and they, they've never faced off in a playoff series. Can you believe that? And I've wanted to hate on the Padres, and I think I do have a little hate towards them, but a hate builds up to a certain point when you get into a playoff series. It happened with the Philadelphia Phillies. I never hated anyone more. I probably tweeted some nasty things when I was 15 years old in high school when they broke my heart in 2008 and 2009. I didn't wear red for a single year because I despised them so much. And then, of course, the St. Louis Cardinals, the same thing happened in 2013 when actually Joe Kelly, Joe Kelly threw a 98-mile-per-hour fastball at Hanley Ramirez's ribs, and I really think that Dodger team would have went on to win the World Series if he wasn't injured. And forever, I hate the Cardinals. I wanted to hate a lot of other teams. Of course, the Houston Astros are on that list. The Nationals last year, they got us. It was a cool story. I didn't have enough time to hate them. We got them earlier and a couple years ago in a couple of playoff series. 
they didn't really break my heart. But this series right here, this is the buildup. And I already don't like the San Diego Padres, and here's why. They won that three-game playoff series, if you want to call it that, against the Cardinals last week. And when they won game three, they came out with all the confidence in the world, all power to them. But for some reason, I finally saw Padres fans come out in full force. The streets of San Diego were packed. The buses that San Diego Padres were on to get to the airport couldn't even move because Padre fans were in the way cheering, let's go Padres, beat LA, F the Dodgers. And I said, where the hell have you guys been? But it kind of makes sense. It's cute. It's adorable. It was their first playoff series win in 22 years. It shouldn't count for a playoff series win. It was a three-game set, which happens all season long throughout a baseball year. And if you win consistently, you get into the playoffs. So congrats to you. But those fans, I guess they waited 22 years to win a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals. And here you have it. We finally have this series that was building up from the start of this season when Fernando Tatis was all getting his MVP hype. One of the best players in baseball. Who would you take first pick overall? I mean, they were actually talking about him compared to Trout. Fernando Tatis is good. But let's wait a wait, let's wait a second. Let's let him get at least a decade into the league before we start mentioning his name in the same breath as Mike Trout. I just already don't like them because I think they're better. I think they think they're better than they actually are. And I'm fired up because they will have their pitcher, Mike Clevenger, who they traded for, who they thought was going to be their ace come playoff time. Pitching, I don't know. Games one, game four, maybe a game seven. He was the number one guy on the San Diego Padres staff because they're the San Diego Padres. He goes to the Dodgers. He's not a number one. He goes to the Yankees. He's not a number one. He goes to the Tampa Bay Rays. He's not a number one. If Mike Clevenger's your number one starter, you still got work to do. So I'm happy he's pitching game one tonight against Walker Bueller. I'm hoping Walker Bueller's blister is a little bit better. I'm hoping he can go more than five innings. But Clevenger has pitched one inning over the last month, and he's going against the most feared offense in baseball, led by Mookie Betts and Corey Seager. He's got a handful. So we'll see how that plays out. I think the Dodgers take this series. It's going to be fun. I'm ready to hate on the Padres even more than I have already on this podcast. I think their uniforms are cool, but that can only get you so far. And I think if there's one thing Dodger fans have to worry about, it's what every Dodger fan's thinking at the end of the game when Kenley Jansen gets the ball. Holy shit, can he hold this lead? And I think that's why the offense has to step up big time. I think we have to have at least a three-run lead if Kenley Jansen's getting the ball in a big situation. Dave Roberts has come out and said he's absolutely the closer. I know managers could just say that. Kenley Jansen's a leader. You don't want to put him in a corner. You don't want to kill his confidence like it's already been killed a couple of times this season when he's loaded the bases. He did it earlier this year against the Padres. Loaded the bases, um, somehow got out of it. But I think that's the Achilles heel for the Dodgers. They have to have a big enough lead at the end of games for Kenley Jansen to pitch. And that's a crucial point in playoff baseball, starting pitching in bullpen. And they got a couple of different guys at the back end who can get that ball in key situations. Jake McGee, 
Brewster Gratterall, Pedro Baez, Blake Trinan. It'll be interesting to see if Jansen actually is absolutely, quote-unquote, the closer for this team when the games are close at the end. But let's go. I'm fired up. And also, you're probably wondering why I got this bucket hat on inside. This bucket hat, it plays a big role. I'm a superstitious guy. I bought this bucket hat a few years ago. Uh, I knew it was going to be a hot day. I was going to a USC-Texas football game. Obviously, revenge game from 2006. It was a regular season game. Sam Darnold was the quarterback. Texas was starting a young freshman, Sam Ellinger. Fun to watch. He's still the quarterback now for Texas. That ended up being an instant classic. USC wins on a game-winning field goal. It was a blast, and I had this hat on to protect this beautiful face from the sun. It worked out. And then on one of the hottest days of the year, in 2017, I had the privilege of attending game one of the World Series against the Houston Astros. Had this hat on, out-of-body experience. Dodgers ended up winning that one. So this has been through a lot, and it's going to be worn today in game one of this NLDS against the Padres. And if we keep winning, I'll keep wearing it. I'll jump right over to the Lakers. Listen, the Lakers play a pivotal game forward. Yes, pivotal. Capital P. They lead the series 2-1. They should be up 3-0. They're going to be kicking themselves in the butt if they can't find a way to win game four because they should have had game three with Bam out of bio out and Goran Dragic out. Yes, AD got in some early foul trouble, but AD can't be taking nine shots in an NBA Finals game when he's arguably the best player in the world. Hats off to Jimmy Butler. Had one of the great finals performances that we have seen. 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. And here's why I respect the hell out of Jimmy Butler now. I've come full circle. There's a reason why those Miami players behind him would run through a brick wall for him. There's a reason why this dude brought this team to the finals. He's not afraid of anyone. He's chirping toe-to-toe with LeBron James. He made LeBron James walk off the court of game three with 10 seconds left on the clock. And you guys might not think that's a big deal, but LeBron James was so frustrated to the point where he had to walk off the court. And now Isaiah Thomas is going on TV saying, oh, I know how he feels. Listen, Isaiah, I said it last week. Old NBA players, old timers, they always want to be in the news some way, somehow. And Isaiah Thomas walked off the court, of course, against Michael Jordan back in the late 80s. And he thinks it was his time to come out and try to defend LeBron James for walking off the court. But I think LeBron walked off because Jimmy Butler gave him, gave him the business, triple-double. And he had that triple-double 40 points without a three-pointer. And in today's game, when three-pointers are being shot at the highest rate we've ever seen them get shot, Jimmy Butler doesn't take one, and he goes 40-11-13. Respect. Lakers got to have this one tonight. And if they don't, this series is going to be even, and Miami's going to be at full strength, and we actually have something to worry about as Los Angeles Lakers fans. But I think the Lakers do come out dialed in, and they could go up 3-1 and possibly clinch an NBA championship on Friday when I'll be at my good friend Bucky Bitten's house celebrating with a couple of beers. Now, do we talk about baseball, or do we get into this weekend of the NFL? I'll get into this weekend of the NFL. It was a wild one. We'll start with Tampa Bay versus the Los Angeles Chargers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay ends up winning 38-31, and there's a couple of things to take from this game. Tom Brady looked like vintage Tom Brady. I drafted Tom Brady in fantasy this year because I thought to myself, shit, 
I don't think I've won a fantasy championship when Tom Brady isn't my quarterback. And it's probably been a decade since I won a fantasy championship. So I took him, and in this game, he came out and threw five touchdown passes. 30 of 46, 369 yards, five touchdowns, interception. That interception was a pick six. But who the hell cares? Tom Brady had it going. And Justin Herbert, if you're a Charger fan, you got to be happy. Probably the prettiest deep ball in the game. The Chargers are exciting to watch. I don't even know. I don't think Charger fans know who's playing wide receiver for them, who were the guys that scored those touchdowns for Herbert. But Herbert had a hell of a game, 20 of 25, 290 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. But man, that was something. The Bucs are 3-1. and one. They haven't beat a lot of good teams. Chargers are 1-3. and three, But that was a very exciting game to watch early Sunday morning before I had to go into work. Then we jumped to Baltimore. Everyone was talking about the Baltimore Ravens after losing that game to the Kansas City Chiefs. Was it falling apart? Now the Baltimore Ravens for real. Is Lamar Jackson good enough? Where do you rank him among top quarterbacks in the NFL when he can't come from behind against a good team? Well, they played the Washington Redskins and Lamar Jackson had a 50-yard run that was vintage Lamar. Takes off 50 yards, almost pimped it a little bit too early. Got hit on the two-yard line, but he got in, bounced off the defender. Lamar Jackson had a good game, 14 to 21, 193 yards, two touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Baltimore wins 31-17. And, cool note, if you do like fake punts, the Ravens did run a fake punt in that game. Sam Cook had a money throw, and it turns out that punter, when they run a fake punt, seven of seven. Seven for seven on fake punt throws. Watch out for the Ravens. Cleveland versus Dallas. The Dallas Cowboys right now should be 0-4. What are we doing? Should Mike McCarthy be on the hot seat? Should their defensive coordinator, Mike Nolan, be fired already? Dak Prescott is having one of the best years. He's right up there with top quarterbacks in the NFL, still hasn't been paid by the Cowboys, and they just can't get it done because their defense is Swiss effing cheese. Cleveland Browns win 49 to 38 and somehow Odell Beckham is alive and well. He had three touchdowns in this game, one rushing for 47 yards out. He had one catch in the end zone thrown by Jarvis Landry. Beautiful trick play. The one thing I take from this game is Nick Chubb went down with an injury. He's obviously on my fantasy team. He's probably on a lot of people's fantasy teams. He's one of the best backs. That backfield is terrific with him and Kareem Hunt as a one-two punch. Chubb goes down. He's headed to IR for four to six weeks. He'll be back later in the season. Kareem Hunt picked up the slack when he left. And a running back named D'Ernest Johnson even had 13 carries for 95 yards. And you want to know how bad the Dallas defense is? Cleveland Browns ran it 40 times for 307 yards. That's the most yards a Dallas team has given up in franchise history. And Baker Mayfield, if he's not making mistakes and the Browns are a run-first team, the Browns got to be a team you got to watch out for. I think they're a legit playoff team because I think their defense makes plays. Miles Garrett right now is probably the front-runner for defensive player of the year. And they came out with a big win against the Dallas Cowboys. First 3-1 and one start for the Browns since 2001. Dak Prescott, though, 41-58, of 58, 502 yards, four touchdowns, interception. He threw for 500 yards and couldn't find a way to win a football game. That's a shame, an absolute shame. I jumped to my L.A. Rams. It was a struggle, boring football game. 
The most exciting play was a game, play late in the fourth quarter when Jared Goff threw it over the top, found Cooper Cup for a touchdown. The Rams win 17-9. They're 3-1 right now. We know they're in the NFC West, a very tough division. But outside of that touchdown, that game was boring as hell. I mean, the Giants legitimately had a shot at the end of that game. Daniel Jones also, if the Giants get the number one pick and Trevor Lawrence is sitting there, I really think that's a team that would possibly trade out and give Daniel Jones another shot. I think they like what they have in Daniel Jones. Jets is a different story. Obviously, if the Jets are sitting there, number one, I think Darnold's out and Trevor Lawrence is in. Jalen Ramsey, though, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jalen Ramsey lighting up Golden Tate, picking him up and slamming him to the ground. WWF move. And then you hear about the backstory after that hit. So Jalen Ramsey lights up Golden Tate, and you just think it's an average tackle. They're chirping. And then at the end of the game, they get in a fist fight that the cameras didn't pick up. But they had a skirmish that the cameras picked up. We didn't know who was fighting, but it was obviously... Jalen Ramsey and Golden Tate. And here's the backstory. Jalen Ramsey apparently has two kids with Golden Tate's sister and left Golden Tate's sister while she was pregnant for another woman. And so that tackle, it was a lot more than just a tackle. There's some personal beef there that goes a lot deeper than that hard hit Jalen Ramsey put on Golden Tate. That's a fun story, though. We should follow that. They don't play each other again, but man, Golden Tate, Jalen Ramsey, I think boxing matches are happening. Isn't Nate Robinson fighting uh, the YouTube guy? Forgot his name. Uh, uh, Jake Paul. Jake Paul or his brother, Nate Robinson's fighting him. Mike Tyson's fighting uh, Roy Jones. Please put Golden Tate on, and Jalen Ramsey on this card. If you put Jalen Ramsey and Golden Tate on that card, boxing match, I think it might be the highest selling card of all time. Higher than McGregor, Mayweather, Pacquiao, Mayweather. Please put Golden Tate and Jalen Ramsey on this card. We got to see it. I have to see that unfold. And here's the thing. I be, I've been telling you guys to fade my picks, and you guys got to fade my picks. The NFL is crazy. And the fact that we're still trying to pick NFL games against the spread is absurd. Even straight up. I picked last week on this podcast the Arizona Cardinals minus three and a half against the Carolina Panthers, and the Cardinals maybe aren't the team we thought they were. Kyler Murray, I think he was just held down for most of the game. He did end up throwing three touchdowns, 133 yards passing, 24 of 31. But man, Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater, Carolina Panthers can't tank with Teddy Bridgewater. That guy wins games. Teddy Two Gloves wins football games, and it was good to see him have a rushing touchdown in this one because he had one of the most gruesome knee injuries. I think there was players on that Vikings team that were throwing up when they saw it in person. And Teddy Bridgewater got the job done. 26 of 37, 276 yards, two touchdowns, rushing touchdown, interception. Arizona Cardinals, frauds. DeAndre Hopkins, seven receptions, 41 yards. Carolina wins 31-21. Arizona, 2-2. Two two. Panthers, 2-2. Two two. Crazy game. I can't believe it. But here we go. We talk about my Super Bowl pick on the NFC side, the Seattle Seahawks. Russell still cooking, but they had a hard time in this one against Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Miami Dolphins. 
Seattle ultimately ended up winning 31-23, but the game was a lot closer than the score entails. Seattle stays undefeated at 4-0. Looked like Seattle would roll early, scored on the early possession. They led 17-9 at half. It was 17-15 late in the fourth quarter. But Russell Wilson, if we're talking about prettiest throws in football, I think I've already said this on the podcast, but prettiest throws in football, it's Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. And at the end of the podcast, I'm going to ask you guys a question. You guys got to answer. And I'm going to answer because it's a tough one. But Russell went 24 of 34, 360 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, 16 touchdowns to the first four games, ties Peyton Manning's NFL record when he threw 16 touchdowns in the first four games in 2013 when the Broncos lost to the Seahawks in the championship. Let's go to Buffalo first Las Vegas. Josh Allen, America's quarterback. I'm calling him America's quarterback because Nick Foles can't get it done unless he comes in late in the game. So Josh Allen, you are now America's quarterback. You are so goddamn fun to watch. You having Stephon Diggs as a security blanket is so great because he could catch anything thrown his way. I think he's Randy Mossed a few guys in this one. Buffalo wins 30-23. to Buffalo's undefeated 4-0. But Josh Allen, man, he makes crazy plays. I think uh, Chris Berman, Boomer, on ESPN said he's far like taking risk all game long. And that's exactly what he is. I mean, he can, he can lose a game for you, but he could just as well win it for you. And it was 17-16 at the end of the third quarter in this one. It was close, but I don't think the Raiders were doing much of anything. Darren Waller had a costly fumble at the end of the one. And Buffalo's defense, timely turnovers. Timely forced turnovers. Buffalo's defense is what won this game for them. And like I said, Stephon Diggs, six catches, 115 yards. He's the absolute security blanket for Josh Allen. Josh Allen goes 24-34, 288 yards, two touchdowns, and another rushing touchdown for the guy. He's 6'6", 240. Please give me more Josh Allen. Buffalo's got to be at the top of your list when you're watching games on Sunday. Indy, Chicago, I'm not going to talk much about this. All I got to say is Phillip Rivers always talking shit constantly. He's talked shit for his entire career, and it's crazy because Phillip Rivers, as you should know, Phillip Rivers doesn't curse. And he's supposedly a great shit talker, but how good of a shit talker can you actually be when you don't curse? Because even a nice, a nice F-bomb laid in there at the right time when you're talking shit is perfect. It, it can really stun someone. But Phillip Rivers not being able to have that and still being a good shit talker, all power to him. Indianapolis wins 19-13. Colts are 3-1. Chicago's 3-1. That was kind of a clunker. And please, please, can T.Y. Hilton, can you revive this man? Save T.Y. Hilton. I mean, he's benchable in every fantasy league right now. And T.Y. Hilton is a hell of a wide receiver. But Phillip Rivers and him just don't have a connection, and I'm not happy about it for personal reasons. Cincinnati versus Jacksonville. Cincinnati wins 33-25. to Joe Burrow gets his first career NFL win. Very promising for a guy that's getting his dick kicked in every single game. I think he gets sacked at least four times. First rookie with three straight 300-yard passing games. He went 25-36, 300 yards, touchdown, and an interception. Game was close. Gardner Minshew kept it close, but Cincinnati pulls away, and that was a Joe Mixon game. 
Joe Mixon had three total touchdowns. He had 25 rushes, 151 yards, two touchdowns, and one receiving. Hell of a running back. And here's a big one. Minnesota versus Houston. The two 0-3 teams going head-to-head. And here's why it's big. Minnesota wins 31-23. And today, we find out that Bill O'Brien canned out fired as general manager and head coach of the Houston Texans. Is it right to fire someone in the middle of a pandemic? I guess so if you have Deshaun Watson as your quarterback and you can't win one football game. Did they have a hard schedule? Yes, they played the Chiefs and the Ravens, but Deshaun Watson cannot be getting killed. You can't trade away DeAndre Hopkins and expect to keep a job when you're 0-4. With who Dabo Sweeney, his college coach, said he is Michael Jordan-like. That's tough. Bill O'Brien's out. I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but man. Kirk Cousins find a way to got found a way to get it done. Minnesota wins. Save their season. They're one and three. They got Seattle next week. They probably ain't winning that one. Philadelphia and San Francisco had the nightcap. Brutal game to watch. Tough. And here's why it's tough. Carson Wentz hasn't been good at all. He's been probably one of the worst quarterbacks rated through the first three games of the season. But now Philadelphia had one, two, and one. They ended up coming back in that game, winning 25 to 20. And Philadelphia, with that record, one, two, and one, sit atop the NFC East, cancel the NFC East right now. Cancel, please. How can you lead a division when you have one win, two losses, and a tie? Terrible. Nick Mullins got benched for San Francisco in that one late when he threw a pick six. In comes C.J. Beathard. Actually, was pretty electric in that one. Gave San Francisco a chance at the end of the game. We saw Hail Mary get thrown in the end zone. I nearly thought it was going to be caught by the Niners to win the game. It doesn't. And Philadelphia ends up winning that one. That's what we have for NFL. And then on Monday night, of course, we had the doubleheader. We had the Kansas City Chiefs at 3-0 taking on the New England Patriots. And I... I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't watch a single minute of that game. I found out Brian Hoyer was starting for the New England Patriots. I know Patrick Mahomes is must-see TV. I think it was a 6-3 game at halftime, and I said, yep, not tuning into this one. The other Monday night game was the Green Bay Packers against the Atlanta Falcons. So I said, you know what? I'm watching Aaron Rodgers throw some tuds against a Falcons team that's crumbling by the second. Kansas City ended up winning that game, I think, Hoyer eventually got benched for Jared Stidham. I think the final score was 26 to 10. I couldn't, I'm not even, I'm not confident in saying that's the final score, but I'm going to say it anyways. 26 10. Kansas City wins their 4 0. But Aaron Rodgers last night. There's a couple of people that don't believe. I mean, I listen to Dan Patrick every morning. He doesn't believe that these athletes can actually get motivation from something so small. Leading up to this year, we heard how Aaron Rodgers was going to come out more fired up than ever because the Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round and refused to take a receiver, which the Packers clearly need right now with a bunch of injuries to their team. And even before then, they needed a receiver on the other side of Devontae Adams. But Rodgers, he found a tight end that probably no fantasy owner owned. I don't even know his name at this point. But he had four touchdowns, I think. And Aaron Rodgers looks better than ever. He seriously looks like the guy I was saying three years ago was probably the most talented quarterback in the history of football. 
Patrick Mahomes might come up on his heels on that one, but Aaron Rodgers is still one of the funnest quarterbacks. Funnest isn't a word, is it? Most fun quarterbacks to watch ever for me. I love watching Aaron Rodgers play football, and he is dominating right now. The Packers are also killing it. They're a legit good football team. I know last year they went 13-3. A lot of people were calling it a fraud, 13-3. They're good. They beat the Falcons in that one, and Rodgers looked great. And here's the question I was going to ask you guys, and you guys must answer. Right now, today, right now, if you needed a quarterback, for the rest of this season, for your team, are you taking Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson? It's a tough one. That's a very tough question because both of those guys are playing at the top of their games. I'm leaving Patrick Mahomes out of it. I think Patrick Mahomes, a lot of people would take with his age and all that. But I'm saying Russell Wilson just this year, Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers? I think it's got to be Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is doing it with dudes. I got picked up off the street, got picked up out of McDonald's yesterday. The dude is absolutely on another one, and he is 100% using the motivation that the Packers picked up a first-round quarterback this year. He's using that as motivation. I truly, we saw the Jordan documentary. He made shit up just to get himself up and ready for games. I think Aaron Rodgers is playing pissed off. I think in the back of his mind, he says, yep, Jordan loves behind me. They drafted this guy. That's a slight to me. And I'm going to come out firing on all cylinders this year. I mean, we've watched sports. It happens in sports all the time. This guy's on another level, and that is absolutely a motivation for him. Give me Aaron Rodgers over Russell Wilson right now to finish the season. And if we're going to talk about college football, I know my friend Austin Fierro hit me up and said, dude, when are you going to talk about college football? I said, it's tough to watch. Obviously, you're a Texas fan. You're watching. I know you're not happy because Texas got upset by TCU. And the Big 12 right now, the only undefeated team in that division is Oklahoma State. University of Oklahoma lost two regular season games for the first time since 1999. They got upset by Iowa State and Brock Purdy at quarterback. 37-30. So Oklahoma loses two. Texas drops the one to TCU. The Red River rivalry is coming up this week. And I don't think it has anything. It doesn't have implications going forward because I don't think Big 12 is going to have a team representing them in the college football playoff. And that's if Oklahoma State doesn't stay undefeated. And I'm happy about that. Because now a team on the outside of the Power 5 can come in and possibly play for that playoff. And if the Pac-12 with their six games, with their amateur-ass shit playing six games while the others are playing 9 and 10, if a Pac-12 team has a... One of the teams, I don't know, a lot of people are saying Arizona State might be the team that could come out and run the table, maybe look good enough to play in that playoff. I'll be fired up if they get taken over a Big 12 team. Yes, please, and thank you. Georgia beats Auburn 27-6. to Georgia looks pretty good. They got a receiver named George Pickens. Bama keeps rolling over dudes. They won 52-24 to over A&M. Mac Jones is their quarterback. They got Waddle at receiver. They got Devonta Smith at receiver. And Florida looks good right now. I don't know if I'm going to buy into the Florida Gators. Trask is their quarterback. I watched a little bit of their game last week. He looks pretty good. They got a receiver named Kyle Pitts who's like 6'6", 250. There's a lot of good receivers again in college football, and the draft in a couple of years is going to be great. 
and I'm already scouting for fantasy football. But that's all I really have to say about college football is the Big 12 right now is not in a good place because I don't think they get a team in the Final Four, and that opens the door for a small school, possibly SMU who's undefeated right now, possibly Cincinnati. I know they're playing each other in a couple weeks. And, man, if Keaton Slovis and USC can figure something out and look good this year, I don't know. I have no predictions on USC football. I just know Keaton Slovis is a little guy with a big arm, and he's fun to watch. So if SC's good and they can run the table somehow, some way, and get a Final Four playoff spot, I'm all in. But until the Big Ten starts, I don't think college football starts. I think you need another conference in there. I know SEC's playing each other. Big 12's playing each other. A lot of upsets, which is cool, but it doesn't have the same <clears throat> as it has in years past. Because I like when conferences play each other in that first week. But now conference versus conference, I think it's a very regional sport. And I never thought I would say that. But I think it's a very regional sport. But I'll get involved. Shout out to you, Haas. I like you calling me out on that one. And I'll finish this talking about the other playoff series. Right now I'm watching the Atlanta Braves and Miami Marlins. Listen, I'm going to get behind the Miami Marlins because they're hanging a shirt in their dugout that says Miami bottom feeders. And if a team has any rallying cry, I always get behind it. In years past, it usually happens in college baseball. There's some doll in the dugout, some whatever it is. If something's hanging up in your dugout, I'm going to get behind you. And when the Miami Marlins beat the Chicago Cubs in that wild card series, I noticed that shirt that said Miami Bottom Feeders, and I said, what is that? And then all the players wore those shirts at the end of the game when they won. And then the story goes that at the beginning of the season, when the Philadelphia Phillies dropped a couple of games to the Marlins, one of their broadcasters said, you can't, be, and you can't expect to be a good team when you're losing to the bottom feeders like the Florida Miami Marlins. And Miami said, all right, we're the bottom feeders. Let's go. You're going to knock us? You're going to call us the bottom feeders? We'll buy into that. No one expects us to win. Everyone already thought we ruined the season when a couple of us got coronavirus. I'm putting my head down. I'm going to throw this shirt on, and we're now the Miami bottom feeders. I love it. And Donnie Baseball is the manager over there. Heard him on an interview yesterday with Dan Patrick. Donnie Baseball is still the man. I still love him. I loved him when he was the manager for the Dodgers. Didn't make a lot of great in-game decisions. But Donnie Baseball is my guy. So I'm rooting for the Marlins to somehow find a way to beat the Braves. I know they have a powerful lineup. They're dangerous. I don't know if it could happen, but it is a five-game series. We'll see how that goes. And then yesterday, of course, the A's and Astros kicked off their series at Dodger Stadium. And I was rooting hard for the A's early on. And then Carlos Correa, the most hated man in baseball, hit two home runs. George Springer had a four-hit game. Jose Altuve doubled in a couple of runs. And I just I got pissed off. I turned off my TV, went over to my brother's house and said, hey, let's not talk about it. So they're up 1-0. They won 10-5. They play again today. We'll see what happens. Hopefully the A's can wear the Kelly Green uniforms because those uniforms are the best in baseball. And I feel like they have a better chance of winning when they wear them. And then on the other American League series, we have the Yankees and Rays. And the Yankees hit four homers in that one. John Carlo hit a monster shot, grand slam, and Aaron Judge hit a couple of homers. The rest is history. They win 9-3 in that one. They'll play again today. Glasnow's on the mound. Taking on Del V. Garcia. Hopefully Glass now pitches a gem and evens up the series for the race. Because I'm not rooting for the Yankees. But that lineup is dangerous. 
That's really all I got for you guys today. Thank you for tuning in to the 10 After 7 podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 After 7 and on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. If you ever want to come on the podcast, just hit me up. You're willing to come on. I'm willing to ask questions. Let's go. Let's talk shop. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers. Thank you.